Walking down Commercial Street near the Boston Harbor, Maria heard a loud roar, much like an oncoming train. Looking up to locate the source of the noise, Maria turned to face a 25-foot-high wave of brown, sticky liquid moving at breakneck pace towards her. Stay tuned to hear all about that on The Reluctant Historian. What's up, everybody? I'm Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Dakota Lawson. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So, if you love history... Or you absolutely hate it. This podcast is for you. We would like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. Okay, Dakota, what do you think today's topic is about? Well, at first I was thinking some sort of, and this isn't actually what it would be because Thomas the Tank Engine is fictional, <laughs> but I was like, she's turning around and all of a sudden she sees Thomas the Tank. Is it the Tank Engine? I, or is it the Train Engine? I, no, it's Tank. Yeah, it's absolutely the Tank. What is the Tank in a in a train? What does that mean? Well, you know what? Why don't we ask our longtime listener, Lexi? Because she is an engineer on the railway. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Then Lexi, obviously... we need to know what's a tank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we could just Google it, but it's like it's like when we're uh, trying to engage the audience. That's fair, but I was gonna say it's like when uh, you know uh, one of my siblings asked me for a question about their computer. I'm like, there's Google. Google. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, do the labor for us. <laughs> yes. So, but the other thing is brown sticky liquid. You said I did say that. Attack of the diarrhea monster. <laughs> I loved watching your eyes when I was reading this to you because yeah. you were just like, what the fuck is she talking about? Yeah, it's, I'm intrigued. I'm I'm guessing it's not going to be as good as a diarrhea monster, but no. we'll see. Well, actually, this week's episode is about the Great Molasses Flood of 1919. Oh, yeah, that's definitely not as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, Dakota. Molasses Flood? Wait, okay, what is molasses? Oh, don't worry, actually. Wait, wait. Okay, but, but it's slow, though. Your slow oh, you is molasses. So. Oh, but it's fast? In this case, yes. So I didn't go into the science of why, but yes. Okay, so in this case, this molasses wants to prove something to the world. <laughs> Stop using my name as a, something that's slow. That's how molasses talks. Yes. And they're like, I'm going to show you. And this is um, uh, the flood inning, Revenge of the Molasses. <laughs> that's the movie that's going to be made out of this. Yes, that's right. That's true, yeah. Um, so before we get really started, we wanted to give you a quick update. We are starting Shorty Summers a bit early this year due to everything that's going on in our lives. That sounds really scary. Due to everything that's going on in our lives. <laughs> I don't mean it scarily. Uh, we're in the process of moving houses and might have to live in a basement for a bit and move packing and having people coming to our house and looking at it. It's uh, it, it, We just can't sit around and record for hours on end. Yeah, and um, we talked about it, and we were like, oh, do we take a break for a few months? And then uh, we just went back and forth on some ideas, and we came up with, no, we'll, we'll just do Shorty Summers. We're not doing new nudes. You're not new getting nudes. You're not getting nudes of me this summer. <laughs> uh, for any new listeners, they're going to be like, where do I find these old nudes at this point? Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, we did talk about like, yeah, like I said, like maybe take, or like Dakota said, maybe taking a break. But um, I, I think that sometimes things happen serendipitously. And around that time that we were talking about it, we had quite a few listeners just reach out out of the blue, just saying that how much they really enjoyed the podcast. And so um, like Tracy and Jordan and Lexi and John, 
So we were like, maybe, it's, well, I was like, maybe it's a sign that we should continue to do it. I don't know what you thought because you're not a hippie. No, I, 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 my first instinct was, fuck them. <laughs> fuck the listeners. But yeah. then you, you twisted my arm. And I did, yeah. used your wrestling moves on me. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, we won't fuck our listeners. <laughs> we'll okay. keep making content. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of where we're at. I do think, though, we should also mention that it is likely that one week we might just be like, oh, crap, we had 20 house showings on one day and we're unable to record. So I think just going into it knowing... That'd be great. If we had 20 that would be house great. Showings. Like, chances are one of them would buy it. Yeah, I would think so. Think yeah. so. No, yeah. but what I mean is that, like, one week we might just be like, oh, sorry, we couldn't record this week yeah. because of, like we said, stuff happening in our life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's your golden nugget? We have kind of started doing, I don't know if we had talked about this last month, but we started doing a family board game night with my family. Right. And last night we played uh, Seven Wonders Architects, yep. which was uh, fantastic if you've ever played the Seven Wonders games, which I haven't played the original yet, but mm-hmm. I really want to. And But it's a three-player game, which is kind of like, why would you do that? <laughs> well, yeah, like for all us people who don't have friends, like yeah. that sucks. But it Seven Wonders Architects is great for a big group of people. Yep. Up to seven people can play, and it's super easy, and turns go by like in an instant. So you don't have to sit around and wait for your turn or anything like that, whether yeah. the person thinks for a long time. And for people who like don't necessarily give their full attention at one time. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's 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 a a lot of it is a card game, but you're um, they're simple cards. They don't have yeah. any words on mm-hmm. them, so it's easy. Uh, you're trying to build. You get you get a one. She won. Yes. Okay. We get it. Uh, cocky McCock a lot. <laughs> so. You have a, uh, a one of the wonders of the world, yep. the ancient wonders, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you have to try to build it before the rest of your... Uh, compadres. Compadres. Uh, I didn't know we were Mexican. Stop. That's Mexican, right? I think so. Okay, compadre. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, su- super quick. Uh, this is this has been Dakota Recommends. <laughs> you haven't done those in a while. No, I haven't. So... Uh, what is your golden nugget? Yeah, I have like I feel like I've had a really great week. Uh, lots of things could be a golden nugget. I don't really have anything like woo, but uh, I'm gonna go with prehistoric planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we started it's watching that last week, and we're Liz almost done. Recommends. <laughs> we need a better name for that. We do, but uh, yeah, we started watching it last week, and like I said, we have one episode left. Um, it's David David Attenborough. David Atten. Why can't I say his name? David Attenborough. So I don't even think that's how you say it. Anyways, that guy. Old man David. Yeah. He <laughs> narrates what life would have been like um, on the planet in the time of the dinosaurs. And I used to really like dinosaurs. I still like dinosaurs. They're cool. But um, it's like a nature show and the dinosaurs are CGI'd and it just gives us a like a look into their lives. But that show wasn't real? No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, and it's just really cool, and I just, I I watch it, and I can't stop talking about it, because it, like, like as we watch it, which is probably annoying for you. Because no, I'm no, I, I love it. I love, uh, I actually, uh, I think, <laughs> I think I was probably, well, this is an insight into a relationship. I think earlier on in a relationship, I was like, ah, I just want to watch the thing. But now I actually really enjoy engaging Aww. with you while we talk about, or, like, the thing that we're watching. Yeah. So. I mean, I know I can't, like, talk during a Marvel movie, but, like... Well, not if it's the first time I've seen it, no. 
But yeah, so I get really hyped up about what the dinosaurs are doing. And then my biggest question is like, how did they know that? Like, how do they know that? So we discovered a little bit of a spoiler here, but we discovered that dinosaurs actually lived in the freaking snow. And I was like, but they're lizards, but they're not because they're also birds. So like, how? Yeah. Anyways, it's super cool. And I want to speak to this a little bit too. Another quick spoiler. T-Rexes can swim. Yes. Like full on use their tail like a freaking alligator and swim. It's crazy how they do that. You know, they don't have the arm to do it or anything like that but, but big powerful legs yeah those those uh those big um big thighs thunder thighs <laughs> but uh, the thunder lizard <clears throat> the thunder lizard that's what they're called sometimes are they really yes why uh, it's just a name that they I, I think tyrannosaurus doesn't mean thunder lizard but there's something about the name of tyrannosaurus rex Ty- oh maybe Maybe. I don't know. I, I know this from when I was like eight so don't mm. ask me now because that was a long time ago that's fair but uh yeah, it, it's just super cool that they, they film it and talk about it like they're like, and then the T-Rex swims with his babies and, and oh no, there's a predator behind them. Yes, and it's And it, so it's, it's just super cool to be like, it's like you're watching a modern uh, nature documentary about them filming animals. Yeah. But they're CGI'd and it actually looks pretty good. So it's on uh, Apple uh, TV. Uh, it's one of their originals. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that the audience that listens to this would probably like love it. it. Yeah. yeah. So if you like dinosaurs. Or you absolutely love them because I fucking do. <laughs> Nobody hates dinosaurs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So first of all, let's go over just what exactly molasses is. Coda, do you have any guesses? Um, well, it's not poop. <laughs> What? No. I hate poop jokes. Slinging bum slugs. Slinging bum slugs. <laughs> your sister doesn't like us talking. Well, I don't like it either. So your sister and I don't like the poop talk. Yeah. So we've tried to come up with different terms. Why am I telling you the story? Get back to the story, Liz. Molasses okay, is um, not poop. Well, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, have, I honestly have no idea what it could be. I've always the only thing I've never thought to ask what is molasses when someone says you're being slow like molasses in January. Why is it specifically slow in January? Oh, interesting because this story takes place in a January. Oh, so this molasses is really trying to prove that it ain't slow in January. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so what um, is molasses? Yeah, so molasses is the dark, sweet, syrupy byproduct made during the extraction of sugars from sugar cane and sugar beets. It was a very popular sweetener in the United States during the early 20th century, though it is used less often today. It's often used in baking like gingerbread and ginger cookies, but also in baked beans and barbecue sauce. Mm. Generally speaking, it has a warm, sweet, somewhat smoky flavor. And is this that what shit you thought it was going to be? No, no. And this shit flooded? <laughs> yes. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So they were the stuff that flooded wasn't being used for food. I'll get into it right now. Mm. Molasses can also be fermented to produce ethanol, which is an active ingredient in alcoholic beverages, but also a key component in munitions. At the time of the event, Boston's Purity Distilling Company was in the business of making industrial alcohol, which was highly profitable, as it was being used to make munitions and other weaponry for World War I. Mm. Purity Distilling had built a molasses tank in 1915 along Boston's waterfront on Commercial Street. The tank's immense size reflected the demand for the alcohol. It was more than 50 feet high and 90 feet in diameter. It could hold up to 2.5 million gallons of molasses. Yeah. That's a whole lot of molasses. Yeah. So for some reference, that's about two football fields in length and then Uh, 10 feet deep. What? Yeah. 
Uh, and for more of a frame of reference, two million gallons of water, which is not uh, molasses, uh, uh, actually molasses. It isn't? No. <laughs> molasses is 40% denser than water. Okay. Uh, so two million gallons of water weighs yeah. about nine million pounds. Okay. So it's it's so, a heavy thing. Sorry, wait. Which which weighs the nine million? Uh, that's how much it weighs. That's water much, weighs that much. Water weighs that much. Wait, how much does the molasses weigh? Well, it's 40% denser than water, so not... 40% heavier yes whoa that's crazy yeah so this tank was built very quickly it was huge but quickly it became problematic leaking and often (laughs) it became problematic like like we need to cancel the molasses it's (laughs) it's it's just like i don't know about these jewish people you know (laughs) no 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 no. the molasses is saying this i can say that because i don't think that way ah sorry i do I tell my 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 quick uh, movie pitch? Yeah, go for it. Okay, okay. I had this movie idea. <laughs> so it's a movie featuring Mel Gibson, and if you remember, he was in a movie years ago called What Women Want, where he could read the thoughts of women, and he was like the sexist pig and stuff like that. As we all know now, that Mel Gibson does not like Jewish people. He's anti-Semitic. Yeah. So we have a movie for you called <laughs> What Jews Want. Oh no. Okay, and. It's a movie where Mel Gibson plays himself and he meets a Jewish lady. And at first he's like, oh, I don't like her. You know, she's worse and stuff like that. But as they get to know her, because she, uh, she's, let's just say she's his realtor. Okay. okay. Just uh, because they they need a reason to continue to hang out. Right. Yeah. And she is all uh, making him like fall in love with her and stuff. Mm. And it's like, it's like, yeah, at first he's like, no, no, no. But as he goes on, like there's a scene where he, she takes him to temple mm-hmm. and it, his heart starts to soften and they end up like really falling for each other, you know? And it's a beautiful film about trying to make people stop being anti-Semitic. <laughs> it's a beautiful film. <laughs> so what Jews want? Uh, feel free to buy that from me. It's an, ori- it's a Dakota original. We've copyrighted it. <laughs> okay. So, yes, back the, to the molasses. problematic tank. <laughs> the problematic tema- tank, the problematic tank that doesn't like Jewish people. Yeah, uh, it was leaking and often emitting rumbling noises. Nevertheless, it continued to be used. And after the war's conclusion, the company began focusing on producing grain alcohol, as it was in high demand just before the passing of prohibition. The problem with the tank lay in its steel walls, which ranged from 0.67 inches at the bottom to 0.31 inches at the top, which is Ooh. fucking thin. Yeah, yeah. It's not even a full inch. That's, that's that's super thin. Yeah, which were too thin to support the weight of a full tank of molasses. Remember, we're talking about heavier than 9 million pen- pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So this discovery was actually found in 2014 by Ronald Mayville, a senior structural engineer. So they didn't really actually know what happened to this tank. Mm. Flawed rivet design was another problem, according to Mayville's analysis, and stresses were too high on the rivet holes where cracks first formed. Although molasses had been poured into the container 29 times, only four of those refills were near capacity. The fourth top-off happened two days before the disaster, when a ship arrived from Puerto Rico carrying 2.3 million gallons of molasses. At that point, the tank held enough molasses to fill three and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools. So disaster, you say? disaster yes that is what we are actually here to discuss not what is molasses and not about this tank we're here to talk about (laughs) (laughs) both the inadequate thickness and rivet issues were signs of negligence and structural engineers knew better at the time 
But the tank had been built quickly, and instead of inspecting the tank and filling it with water to first test it for flaws, the distillery company ignored all mm. warning signs, including those groaning noises that happened every time it was filled. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> no, 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 the the, uh, the the main, like, project leader on this is Jewish, <laughs> and <laughs> he just walks by the tank and it groans. <laughs> It groans at him, and it's just like, "Come on, man! It's 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 who I am." And he just thinks that's why the tank is groaning <laughs> at him. <laughs> there were also obvious cracks, and in fact, children would bring cups to fill up with the sweet molasses that would drip out of it. Even worse, a laborer brought actual shards of steel from the tank's wall into the treasurer's office as evidence of, of potential dangers. To which the treasurer replied. I don't know what you want me to do. The tank still stands. What engineers didn't know at the time was that the steel had been mixed with too little manganese, and that gave it a high transition temperature, making the metal brittle whenever it cooled below 15 degrees Celsius. So January 15th, 1919, then, was a culmination of a perfect, if bizarre, terrifying, and sticky storm. <laughs> I, 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 I got nothing for that. That's just a funny image, I guess, <laughs> like that. It's just like a... Like, instead of, like, um, instead of Sharknado, we got molasses NATO or something, true, you yeah. know? The temperatures in Boston had risen about four degrees, climbing rapidly from the frigid temperatures of the preceding days. And on January 14th, a ship dropped off its fresh load of molasses, which had also been warmed to reduce the viscosity for transfer. Possibly due to this thermal expansion and also because of the poor construction, the tank burst open at 12.30 p.m., releasing a tsunami-like wave of sweet, sticky death. Mm. Witnesses reported that they felt the ground shake and heard a roar as the tank collapsed, a long rumble similar to the passing of an elevated train. Others reported a tremendous crashing, a deep growling, a thunderclap-like bang, and a temple went down, and a sound like a machine gun as the rivets shot out of the tank. Due to the density of the molasses, the explosion of the tank resulted in the wave of syrup having a great deal of potential energy. The collapse of the tank translated this energy into a giant wave that was 25 feet high at its peak, moving at about 56 kilometers per hour. Wow. I picture it with a, uh, a face uh, <laughs> on it. Um, do you remember in Ferngully? Yes. The bad guy from Ferngully? <gasps> yes. I picture this kind of being a him sort of situation. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's a villain like him. Yeah, for sure. The wave had sufficient force that it was able to drive steel panels of the burst tanks against the girders of the adjacent Boston Railway's elevated railway, and it also tipped a streetcar off its track. Nearby buildings were swept off their foundations and crushed, and several blocks were flooded to a depth of two to three feet. A Boston Post news article described it as thus. Molasses, waist-deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled a form. Whether it was an animal or a human being, it was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky fly paper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. Oh, why this? This is a molasses world. We're just living in it. <laughs> because as we all know, molasses f f f finds a way. <laughs> The Boston Globe reported that people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. I actually wrote man feet, and I was confused. <laughs> man feet. <laughs> Others had debris hurled at them from the rush of sweet-smelling air. A truck was picked up and hurled into the Boston Harbor. After the initial wave, the molasses became thick and viscous, 
made worse by the cold temperatures, trapping those who were caught in the wave and making it more difficult to rescue them. Already pinned by falling buildings, some victims then became stuck in the molasses. The liquid was a foot deep in some places, and at least one person died by asphyxiation hours after the accident. I, I bet that's how that guy wanted to go out, though. He's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is just like that autoerotic asphyxiation I do. Stop it. About 150 people were injured, and 21 people and several horses were killed. Oh. I know. Poor horses. Yeah. Fuck the people. <laughs> Some were crushed and drowned by the molasses or by the debris that it carried within. The wounded included people, horses, and dogs. Coffee. Oh, my. <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> Coffee and fits became one of the most common ailments after the initial blast, as written in the Smithsonian. Anthony Stasio, walking homeward with his sisters from the Michelangelo school, was picked up by the wave and carried, tumbling on its crest, almost as though he were surfing. Then he grounded and the molasses rolled him like a pebble as the wave diminished. I'm just picturing this wave like picking him up like, hey, you want to go back to my place? He's like, <laughs> I'm not going to sleep with you, molasses, okay? He's also a child. Oh, this was an adult. <laughs> no, he's going home after going to school. Oh, okay. Well, then the molasses is a child molester. <laughs> <laughs> I've got candy. I am candy. I am candy. <laughs> I am. That's good. That's good. No molasses. I don't want to get molested today. All right. So he's uh, being carted about by this wave. He heard his mother call his name and he couldn't answer. His throat was so clogged with the smothering goo. Oof. He passed out, then opened his eyes to find three of his four sisters staring at him. <laughs> First to the scene were 116 cadets from the USS Nantucket, a training ship that was docked in the harbor. The cadets ran several blocks toward the accident and entered into the knee-deep flood of molasses to pull out the survivors, while others worked to keep curious onlookers from getting in the way of the rescuers. The Boston Police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy personnel soon arrived. Some nurses from the Red Cross dove into the molasses, while others tended to the injured, keeping them warm and feeding the exhausted workers. Many of these people worked through the night, and the injured were so numerous that doctors and surgeons set up a makeshift hospital in a nearby building. Rescuers found it difficult to make their way through the syrup to help the victims, and four days elapsed before they stopped searching. Many of the dead were so glazed over in molasses that they were hard to recognize. Other victims had been swept over into the Boston Harbor and were found three or four months after the disaster. Cleanup crews used salt water from a fireboat to wash away the molasses and sand to absorb it, and the harbor was brown with molasses until summer. The cleanup in the immediate area took weeks, with several hundred people contributing to the effort. It took even longer to clean the rest of Greater Boston and its suburbs, because rescue workers, cleanup crews, and sightseekers had tracked molasses through the street, spread it to the subway platforms, to the seats, inside trains and streetcars, to telephone handsets, into homes, and to countless other places. It was reported that everything a Bostonian touched was sticky. So, you remember the show To Catch a Predator? Yes. So instead, we got to catch a molasses, okay? <laughs> okay. And <laughs> after it, this molasses tries to, well, in this scenario, he tries to pick up this little boy the, 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 that went to the Michelangelo school. Yes. And he goes up, but instead, you've got uh, that, what's the host's name? Oh, I have no idea. You got the host. Oh, fuck. I wish I knew his name. Um, and <laughs> so you've got the host, and he uh, he's like, hey, what are you, uh, what are you doing here? Uh, why don't you just sit down? Why don't we just have a chat? You know? <laughs> to the molasses? Yeah, to the molasses. And oh, he's yeah. like, he's like, oh, I was just, uh, I thought, thought he was of age. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
In the wake of the accident, 119 residents brought a class action lawsuit against the United States Industrial Company, which had bought Purity Distilling in 1917. The company tried to claim that the tank had been blown up by anarchists because some of the alcohol being produced was used in munitions, but a court-appointed auditor found USIA responsible after three years of hearings. The company ultimately paid out $626,000 in damages, which, adjusted for inflation, is $9.82 million. Okay, I was like, that doesn't seem that much, but yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> for decades following, Boston smelled of molasses on hot summer days. So, Dakota, what do you think? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Uh, so, so Boston, in what year was this? 1919. Okay. I, I mean, I know there's lots of historical events that I don't hear about, but like... I, you know, I feel like I would have heard about this. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I had heard about it before. You did, you had, okay. Well, I'm just, I know lots of history. <clears throat> okay, if I can show off, I won't I want the molasses to take you away. <laughs> molasses, take my wife, am I right? <laughs> Rude. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, crazy. I mean, the the people that put this uh, together, they, they just seem very uh, lazy. Yeah. Uh, and well, cheap, that- cheap. Yeah, Yeah, and that's one of the things, too, is that, like, people are like, oh, well, you know, it was 1919. Maybe engineers didn't know how to do stuff. And, like, lots of historians have been like, no, engineers knew how to build things. They just didn't care. Yeah, and, and, I mean, having uh, steel that's, like, 0.33 whatever uh, inches, like, you know. Like, that's very small. I just, like, yeah, yeah, I'm not an engineer, and I would be like, I don't think that's going to hold anything. I mean, 0.33 inches. Some would say that's huge. Stop it. (laughs) But, like, I'm not a scientist, Okay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it just like <clears throat> I mean I could tell you that that ain't gonna hold shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's just crazy like <laughs> that Boston just smelled of <laughs> sweetness for like like this is this is the funniest disaster that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah, it's also kind of sad, but yes, it is a no. It's hilarious. Oh, okay, okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like yeah, it's obviously sad, but it's like <laughs> you know uh, of the like. I wish I could do a good Boston accent, so bear with me. But they're <laughs> like, uh, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is coming towards me? Eh? I don't know. <laughs> that's all I got. That's, what was that? a, that's my Boston accent. <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your goddamn mouth. I didn't know how it was going to come out when I said it. And it wasn't and that's good. That's how it came out. It, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bippity boppity boo. A molasses has got a hold on you. That's a, that's a people from Boston often say bippity boppity boo. <laughs> what? They're from what is that movie? It's like I'm guessing Cinderella bippity boppity boo. <laughs> that's our favorite movie in the Boston area. I'm from Boston. You know they go Boston whenever they say it. So <laughs> I'm from Boston. All right. So uh, this is a funny disaster. Okay, <laughs> is the point I'm trying to make. Got it. Because it's molasses. So is molasses slow in January? The answer is no. The answer is molasses proved us wrong. He did. Because he wanted to have, you know, revenge of the molasses. Yes. So I give this (gasps) 8.4. Okay, 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 okay. Anti-Semitic molasses. Okay. It's good. Yes. Yes, it is. I finally broke that eight wall. Yes, you broke the seal. It's great. Of the tank. The molasses tank. Sorry, I, there's a joke in there somewhere. I know that you laughed. I don't think it, it was, was that funny. funny. Thank I you, though. Funny. I appreciate I it was you. Funny. Yeah. 
Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, or tell your friends about us, because indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth. If you want to stay in contact, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian or on Bippity Boppity Facebook under The Reluctant Historian Podcast. Call your mother for me. Or leave us a tip at buymeacoffee.com slash thehistorian. You can also shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted to the reluctant historian at gmail.com. So we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bippity boppity boo. Molasses put a spell on you. <laughs> <laughs>